Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about what happened to saying you're welcome after someone says thank you, and about whether it's okay to use the word whose for inanimate objects. From our automatic thank you as we grab our caramel latte at Starbucks to the genuine thank you when a stranger lets your two items go ahead of their full basket in the grocery line, thank you is bandied about a lot in daily life. But what seems to be waning is the well-worn, you're welcome. Instead, what we hear are things ranging from no problem to you bet to sure, But whatever happened to that old standby, you're welcome, and why do we need so many other ways to respond to thanks? Although it may seem like we've been saying you're welcome forever, this expression is actually surprisingly recent. In Old English, wilkuma meant pleasing guest, and it was used to express goodwill toward a visitor. It wasn't used as a courteous invitation to do something until the late Middle Ages, as in, you are welcome to join us. Even once we get to Shakespeare's time, known as the early modern period, a study looking at the way thanking was expressed and responded to in written materials, including personal letters, turned up only two examples of you are welcome. As we get to the 20th century, responding to thanks overall becomes more common, and your welcome had morphed into the conventional response, no longer carrying its original meaning. As well as not being all that old, your welcome is also not all that common outside of American English. Several studies that looked at the most frequent modern ways of expressing thanks or gratitude found that saying you're welcome is much less common in other English varieties, particularly those spoken in Britain where nodding your head is popular instead. Another surprise is that responding verbally in any form is not a particularly prevalent habit among British or American English speakers, and researchers find verbal responses more when they look in other languages, such as Swedish, Russian, and German. And if we wanted to point fingers, one recent U.S.-based study by linguist Aaron Dinkin might surprise you because he found that older speakers tended to respond less often than younger speakers in routine encounters, like when they're thanked for telling someone the time. But even if we don't respond in the same way, thanking and accepting thanks are pretty routinized speech acts in most languages. And what that means is that we've developed idiomatic ways of expressing appreciation and deflecting that appreciation so that they're automatically recognized as doing that specific social work when we utter them. 
After all, if we didn't have guidelines or strategies to guide how we thank each other and how to respond, it'd be harder to easily identify specific speech acts quickly and easily. With gratitude expressions, the academic label for such thanking routines, a thank you serves to recognize some favor or benefit that was bestowed upon the speaker. The response to that thank you then serves to help restore any social imbalance that doing that favor may have created. In other words, it acknowledges the thanks and lets the thanker off the hook of holding some debt for that favor. In her research on gratitude expressions, Swedish researcher Karen Eismer discovered that there are three main strategies that people tend to follow when they're thanked. One option is to show mutual appreciation for the thanker by saying something that indicates they are admired and worthy of the effort, like, you are so welcome, or you're welcome. This makes the thanker feel valued and thus restores social equity. Another strategy is to indicate that the favor one did was also pleasurable for the giver, so didn't incur any debt. This usually inspires pleasant expressions like, it was my pleasure, or the pleasure was all mine. Clearly, we understand that this is a merely polite, not literal response, since bringing someone a dinner order is really not anyone's favorite activity. Finally, people being thanked can try to defray any thought that there's debt owed by denying that there was any imposition, a strategy referred to as minimizing. It's this final strategy that drives a large and growing set of formulaic terms designed to be recognizable as such thanking minimizers. Things like no worries, not at all, and no problem. Some may find these responses rude as they suggest that there was the potential for there to be a problem. But just like my pleasure or you're welcome, these responses no longer carry literal meaning, but should be understood as simply formulaic expressions designed to perform a social task. In fact, younger people have been known to view your welcome as pompous because they see it as emphasizing or pointing out that, yes, indeed, I did do you a favor. We can see the sentiment expressed in the song, You're Welcome, in the 2016 Disney movie Moana, in which the demigod Maui is so full of himself that he sings, You're Welcome, about his many accomplishments without the need for anybody's thanks. Now, how about the familiar okay or sure thing we sometimes hear? Maybe unexpectedly, this minimizing category of responses also includes what on the surface seem like simple affirmatives, such as, sure, you bet, or absolutely. Such answers offset the sense of imposition as they suggest that the favor or good deed was simply part of an agreeable exchange between equals. In other words, not a big deal. The takeaway again being that you don't owe me anything. But why do we have so many types of responses in this final category, but only a couple of variants on the same single theme in the first two categories? The answer likely has to do with the fact that thank you is often used for very routine favors, like handing someone a coffee or telling them the time, and to close down conversations. In such cases, the traditional you're welcome can seem to be too formal or even a bit gloating. A short little affirmatory response, in contrast, casually responds without that risk. 
And since we have a lot of routine ways of affirming in English, okay, all right, sure, you bet, yeah, and so on, we have a lot of affirmatory thanking responders to choose from. Also driving the popularity of such terms, there appears to be a shift, especially for American English speakers, away from the mutual appreciation strategy that was preferred until very recently toward the minimizing strategy. This has led to the rise of terms like no worries and you bet, where you're welcome once reigned supreme. So whether it's pleasing, minimizing, or appreciation you're aiming for, it looks like the time has come to welcome a few new tricks into our gratitude repertoire. That segment was written by Valerie Fridland, who's a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada in Reno and the author of a forthcoming language book called Like Literally Dude, about all the speech habits we love to hate. You can find her at ValerieFridland.com or on Twitter at FridlandValerie. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time because messes happen because hey listen remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like i'm serious if that leaks over the counter it'll be a slimy abomination by the time i get back and i was like yeah 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 of course don't worry about it i won't forget <laughs> well oh yeah that happens so start clean with clorox use clorox products as directed rinse after use if in contact with food surface A listener named Mike Murphy wrote in with this question. The car whose windshield wipers weren't working was driving in the fast lane. The tree whose leaves were falling seemed to be dying. Whose seems like it must refer to a person or animal, but not a car or tree, and it doesn't sound correct. Is it correct to use whose in this manner? And is there perhaps a better way to construct these sentences? Thanks for your question, Mike. 
If you used whose in those two sentences, you'd be in the same company as Shakespeare, Milton, and Wordsworth, all famous writers. You might, however, annoy a few modern complainers who think you should use whose to refer to people and animals only. Whose is the possessive form of both who and which. It makes sense to say whose is the possessive form of who because who is in the word. As you know, you use who to refer to a person or sometimes an animal, and this person or animal you're referring to is called an animate antecedent. Animate refers to living people and animals, but not plants, such as my son Jake or his pet fish Gary. An antecedent is a word you're referring back to. So in the sentence, Jake fed Gary, whose favorite food was dried worms, Gary is the antecedent of whose. There's no dispute about using whose to refer to people or animals. There is, however, some argument about whether it's okay to use whose to refer to something that's not a person or animal, a car or a tree, for instance. That's what Mike was asking about, whether it's okay to use whose to refer to what's known as an inanimate antecedent. Cars and trees aren't alive in the same sense as people and animals. Of course, trees are living plants, but plants are considered inanimate. I guess they can't talk or communicate in an animated fashion. In short, Mike is perfectly right when he uses whose to refer to tree. Although some people don't like it, whose is the only English word we have to refer to inanimate antecedents. Maybe someone will invent a new word for this purpose, but for now, we're stuck with whose. Going all the way back to the 14th century, you'll find many literary examples of authors referring back to an inanimate antecedent. Fowler's quotes Milton's Paradise Lost. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world. Some sticklers prefer you use whose to refer to animate antecedents only, but Fowler's refers to this preference as a folk belief. Fowler's himself wrote in 1926, quote, Let us, in the name of common sense, prohibit the prohibition of who's inanimate. Good writing is surely difficult enough without forbidding of things that have historical grammar and present intelligibility and obvious convenience on their side, unquote. These folk believers think you should substitute the phrase of which for whose. I've been trying to reword that Milton quotation by using of which, but I can't manage to create a palatable sentence. I'm having the same trouble rewording both of Mike's examples, the car whose windshield wipers and the tree whose leaves. They just don't work with of which. So in some cases, you might be able to use of which, but most of the time, your sentence will sound stilted and your sentence flow will be ruined. The three major sources I referred to all agreed that of which is not an ideal solution to the whose conundrum. The American Heritage Guide to Contemporary Usage and Style says, quote, This is one case in which the cure could be worse than the disease, unquote. And funny how they didn't state it this way. This is one of the cases whose cure could be worse than the disease. Sometimes the best way to deal with the problem is to reword the sentence to avoid whose altogether. Let's try it with one of Mike's sentences. The car whose windshield wipers weren't working was driving in the fast lane. Now, you could rewrite this in a number of ways. I like, although the car's windshield wipers weren't working, it was driving in the fast lane. But that does create a feeling of connection between the two parts that wasn't there in the original sentence, too. 
Maybe the point was just to identify the car rather than to criticize it for driving in the fast lane without wipers. So if you want to use whose to refer to an inanimate antecedent, go ahead and use it. If, on the other hand, you choose to rewrite sentences to avoid using whose to refer to inanimate antecedents, check that your sentence flows nicely together and that the meaning doesn't change. I do discourage you from using of which unless you're sure the sentence doesn't sound too awkward. And of course, be sure to spell whose, W-H-O-S-E, and not W-H-O apostrophe S, which is a contraction of who is. That segment was written by Bonnie Mills, who's been a copy editor since 1996. Finally, I have a fun FamilyLect story. Hi, I'm calling with a FamilyLect story. As a single mother to my young kids, money was tight, but one of my main delights was my 2008 Jeep Wrangler that took us camping and off-roading, as well as shuttling us all between school and work. Unfortunately, Jeep Wranglers have their issues. One year, my Jeep began to have a particular suspension problem that's well known in the Jeep community. At speeds above 40 miles per hour, if I hit a bump in the road, the suspension would be thrown into complete chaos, the steering column would shake and shimmy, and the whole front half of the vehicle would buck and wobble, as if it were literally falling apart. The noise was intense, and it could last several minutes at worst. The good news is that there was an easy solution when it happened. You just need to slam on the brakes, downshift, and steer into it. And it jolts the Jeep back into balance, and suddenly it's all back to normal. So while it can feel terrifying if you don't know what's happening, I thought it was a slightly manageable problem and needed to find a way to uh, explain it to my children. My kids were about seven and nine years old at the time, and I wanted to preempt any potential trauma. So next time the kids were in the Jeep with me, I explained that the Jeep was getting a little bit bouncy and that when that happened, it's called a chimichanga and that we all need to loudly shout out chimichanga and raise our hands up. I have no idea why I chose this word, but it worked because my kids were in hilarious animated glee each time it happened. Kind of became a fun game. And each time I would get it out of it, get us out of it as quickly and safely as I could. As time progressed, the chimichangas got more frequent and intense, and eventually I was able to save up enough money to get my Jeep into the shop and get it fully fixed. My youngest was with me as we shuffled up to the counter to pick up the Jeep. And as I chatted with the man at the counter, who was also a Jeep enthusiast, he casually remarked, yes, the death wobble can be really scary. My kiddo's eyes widened, and there was a long pause as he looked at me with confusion. Death wobble? He questioned, and she could see him trying to wrap his brain around the new term. Is this the same as a chimichanga? He asked. And I smiled at him, our eyes both wide. Yes, Tegan, it is the same thing. I made up the name chimichanga so you guys wouldn't be afraid. And at that, Tegan smiled a huge grin, and our laughter wouldn't stop. The game is chimichanga is our own familect for what is well known in the Jeep lingo world as the death wobble. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. I haven't had chimichangas in years and years, but I used to love them and I'll never look at one the same way again. And uh, also, Grammar Girl, uh, definitely not brought to you by Jeep this week. <laughs> if you want to call with a story of your family act, a word your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 83321 4 girl and I might play it on the show. 
And you can find that number in my email newsletter too. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil, who has 32 blank emails in his draft folder and wonders what those messages were going to become. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our intern is Brendan Pika. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.